the Purpose Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. We're all about delivering great content, thoughtful discussions, and tips and tricks to help you truly get the most out of your life and business. And here's your charismatic host, me, Matt Browning. Hey, welcome back to the Purpose Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Matt Browning. Thank you so much for uh, listening, for the download, the stream, however you're listening to this and consuming this amazing content. I have a great week for you and I'm excited for this. Um, My producer, Jeremy, is out of the office today. You can see, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll see an empty chair. Uh, If you're listening to this, just take my word for it. Jeremy's missing. Uh, He and Anna are up setting up uh, our new event showing up. Uh, We have an event called Influence coming up tomorrow. Actually, as this podcast drops, we'll be in the middle of the event right now. Uh, this Thursday, Friday, Saturday in Costa Mesa, California. So the team is is readily uh, excited and and moving towards that. And I am getting the open uh, for this podcast taken care of. So I'm excited this week. We have a special treat. Uh, I'm bringing back um, some pieces I talked about in the last few weeks about doing some interviews. And what I specifically am looking for, I was looking for an interview with an entrepreneur that has interesting backstory. Um, So I went into uh, with a friend of mine named Bob. Bob Donnell is just a phenomenal human being. Um, He's been a dear friend. I've known him since 2010. So we're about eight years uh, in a relationship, in a friendship relationship. We've known each other for a while. And uh, he, you know, he's, he's a, he's a coach. He's a leadership trainer. He is an interventionist as uh, I think I would probably call him that. Um, One of his greatest skill sets is an intervening for people on their behalf, um, whether it's at the highest, um, most acute, severe level, like a suicide intervention, or it's helping people intervene for uh, junk food changes or habits or lifestyle or uh, whatever it may be. Um, Bob's amazing at that. So so he does that really, really well, and I'm excited about this. Um, In our interview, I pulled out our direct, uh, direct, (laughs) easy for me to say, the direction of conversation went a few different ways. Um, We cover some interesting things like how do you really not just build a rapport, but how do you go go beyond rapport and really connect at the deepest levels uh, with other humans you interact with? So we even talk about um, the right ways to get into networking and connection. Um, What do humans really crave? And he's an expert in that category as well. Um, The biggest thing we, we get into is how do you change patterns, habits, behaviors that the the kind of ones that we've been trying to change, but it just doesn't seem to work. So we get into all that and more during the interview. We also have, um, he's got an amazing story. You know, um, he, he moved, I don't want to tell you how many you'll, you'll listen to the interview to find out, but it was something like 20 something times, um, just throughout his school age, right? Through elementary school, he moved dozens of times and how that is an origin story, right? how it actually plays into who he is, who he became, and what he does for a living. And you'll hear his story about what does he value, what does he believe about success, and so forth. And we're going to really pull the curtain back on a a very, very interesting human being and a very interesting entrepreneur, and we're going to learn some of the patterns of success. Um, He's also an old friend of mine, so we just just chat back and forth. Um, Strap in, get ready. The the interview goes just a little under an hour, um, and I promise you this might be a multi-second listen. It might be two work back, maybe two work again. I don't know. Maybe you listen to it on two different treadmill runs. Maybe you're like me and you fall asleep to a wonderful podcast with a 15 minute sleep timer at night. If that's you, sweet dreams, pleasant thoughts. Um, I'm glad that my voice is the last thing you hear before you nod off for the night. I'm glad that I get to be a sleep aid for you. So however you're listening to this, um, enjoy it. And here is my interview with Mr. Bob Dinell. So here I am with Bob Donnell, the Bob. Bob, <laughs> man, um, when you walked in, so we, we should have had the microphone on. Yeah. Um, when you walked in, I haven't seen you in a good, I mean, I don't even know, two years maybe? year and a half? Probably somewhere in there. Yeah. It, it feels like a while, um, and it's been way too long, so I'm, I'm glad we can make this work and come down and hang out in the studio and everything. Um, but I was saying we should have turned on the microphone an hour ago because we were just been catching up, and, and out of the catch-up comes stories and, and, and interventions you've been doing and, and trips and travels and everything. So um, I'm just excited to have you have you here and be able to pick your brain a little bit. So in the open, I told everyone about you. So I just want to jump in and mm. My big, big burning question I'm meaning to ask you, um, and I, I know some of your story, but not all of it. When did you really, really get into this 
I don't know if you want to call it the intervention business mm. or the coaching business or like what first off, what would you even call what you do? Mm. <laughs> well, first, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Um, Matt has been too long for sure. You know, at 15, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and was um, given six months to live. Right. And a gentleman came up to me and says, hey, Bob, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I remember thinking, I remember even thinking then 15, I'm like, why is he asking me this? I have no idea what I want to be when I grow up. I want to graduate high school. <laughs> I just want to get through high school, yeah. right? Uh, oh, so you saw my grades. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I said, um, you know, why are you asking me this? I have no idea. And he said, because you can learn a product, a service, or an industry. Or you can learn something that will be beneficial to any product, service, or industry. And I said, well, what's that? And he said, human behavior. Oh, wow. He said, if you understand why humans do the things we do or why we don't, um, you can be beneficial to any product, service, or industry. And I said, sign me up. Right. So I became a peer counselor working with kids my own age, suicide prevention, crisis management, um, just just became a peer counselor working with a couple different organizations. And this is you like at 15, yeah, 16? Yeah, fif- well, 15 he asked me that. At about 16, I became a peer counselor. Wow. There's a lot more than uh, I was doing at 16. Yeah, well, you know, it was it was so cool because they had one through our church, and uh, so it worked out really well to be able to do that. Um, but then at 19, uh, my mom had passed away. She lived two years. She had passed away and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, at 19, a kid that I was working with, uh, just good kid, uh, dad, stepdad was an attorney, and his dad called me into the office one day. He says, hey, Bob, I need you to come into my office. And I'm thinking why am I getting called to an attorney's office? And I'm not going to his house. I'm going to, and I thought, why is this? And um, he's, he brought up a conversation. He says, you know, you're doing some great things with our son, and I just want you to know that we appreciate it, but I think it's time to play a bigger game. Oh, wow. And I'm like, I'm 19, what, or I, was, I think I might have been 18. And I said, what, is, what does that look like? What do you mean? And he said, I think you need to start speaking and raising funds and file a 501c3. And I'm like, whoa. You just need a board of directors. I'm like, well, I'm 19. Wait a second. Board, board of directors. directors. I said, who's going to stamp you know, any approval on me? He made this great statement. He says, and this is where I learned borrowed credibility. Mm. He said, Bob, if you have an attorney on your board of directors, um, people will believe that you're going to be okay. And I'll be the attorney. Wow. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to call. Um, I want you to think of all your friends and their parents who maybe is a school teacher, maybe a doctor, maybe a police officer, maybe a psychologist, psychiatrist. And I want you to call them and I want you to say this. I want you to say, you know me from your son and I've been working with kids for a few years now. And the attorney who's agreed to be on the board of directors, his name is, and he would, he suggests that I call you and ask you to be on the board of directors. What a great phrase, too. Just, I'm the like, attorney on the board of directors suggested. Exactly. I'm wow. like, and that's really? I called seven people, and within the first weeks, all six said yes, and one said, call me back next week. I'm out of town. I had seven out of seven. Wow. Psychologist, psychiatrist, marriage family therapist, sergeant of narcotics for LA County PD, a local author, a uh, family, uh, 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 a parent, as well as the uh, principal of a public school. Wow. So and, for the and next, you're still 19. And I'm still 19. So I had this amazing board of reference that just um, believed in me. And that borrowed credibility was so powerful for me. That's when I began to realize that I could maybe do something to help more people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in that process... I got to sit in on interventions. I got to sit in on therapy sessions. I got to sit in on everything. For that almost five years, I was um, allowed to sit in on almost every um, every every session, if you wow. call it, that those people held on my behalf. And based on that, I said, I really need to understand how this works even better. And so for that five years, I really studied how does an intervention actually happen? Hmm. And I'm not talking about just the intervention like from TV show, but how does a real intervention, I mean, like you do, Matt, I mean, how do you do those interventions where you really get to the the meat immediately and you don't spend hours to try and divulge a story? And um, We were talking about that before we got yeah. started where, you know, so going back to that first question then, would you call yourself, like, what do you do? 
you do mm. interventions. I know that yeah. has, that has some connotation that's it not does. always accurate, right? right? You're not doing just addiction interventions, although you could. Yeah. Or suicide interventions, sure. although you have. Sure. Right? Um, but would you say, I, I guess, is intervention the word that whether socially everyone gets it up front or not, would you say that best encapsulates the process of getting people to shift their behavior, consciousness, choices, life, whatever it is mm-hmm. we're trying to get them to change? Yeah, I think um, as far as intervention, I think intervention is the methodology to get okay. the quickest amount of change. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the uh, you know I would say I'm a human behaviorist that mm-hmm. focuses on um, intervening for people to make better decisions. A human behaviorist. A human behaviorist. <laughs> I like that. So it's been really beneficial to be able to to look at life from a standpoint of, well, why does that person do that and this person does it simply, completely different? They both have the same knowledge, same background, but they choose to do it two different ways. So the human behavior is really the thing that's fascinated me since 15. Right. So for so since yeah, that so, whole time. So, so do you have any memories of like... What, I guess, were you a kid that like wondered how things worked or people worked at all? Or were you just playing, doing your thing? And then at 15, all of a sudden you have this situation that, you know, no kid should go through. And like, is that the the moment that things changed or has your brain always sort of worked like that? Mm. It's a good question. I know. (laughs) It's a good question, Matt, because I don't know that I really, really remember, um, like being that kid who was always like, how did that happen? Why did that? Mm. I don't think it was that way. But because I was, um, we moved around a lot and because my my mom was a single mom. How much did you move uh, around? Oh, I went to six different high schools and probably close to 20 elementary junior highs. Wow. Yeah. And just so people understand, six high schools, high school is supposed to only be four years. <laughs> right, right, right. Was it four years for you? It was four years for me yeah. and it was still six different high schools. So 26 schools in... How long, a 12-year school career, essentially, right? Right, right. Yeah. So on average, more than two a year. Yeah, I was... Well, t- uh, what was the asked most you moved the... one year? Oh. Like, how many schools did you go to in the the highest move year? Three different schools in the same year, but 11 moves. Whoa. Yeah. 11 moves? 11 moves. What, what was, so, if, if I could ask yeah. on, on that, like, what was the, the impetus, the... That was when my mom moving. had been diagnosed with cancer. And so she, we stayed in one place. Then we ended up moving to another place for medical treatment. Um, and it, while we were there, we ended up having to move to three different locations, four different locations. Um, and it was just some of them were maybe just different apartment buildings, but in the same block. Some of them, you know, some wow. of them would be across, across town. Wow. Um, and then we ended up having to move several times to move back to California for her to go to City of Hope. Oh, okay. And um, so we had multiple moves there. We ended up, uh, yeah, I think it was 11 that year. Wow. And this is at, at 15, 16, whatever it is? Yeah, 15. Oh, yeah. my gosh. And did and, and earlier as a kid, you moved a ton, too. Moved a ton, yeah. And it was really, um, my mom, you know, I used to think it, she just liked to move. <laughs> you know? I mean, I was talking to my older brother one day. I'm like, yes, man, we moved around a lot. And he goes, well, you know why? And I go, no. Mom liked to move? <laughs> I mean, I don't really know. And he, he said, no. He goes, you know, mom would stay someplace as long as she could, but then she couldn't afford to, to, to keep the rent because she would lose her job or she would be unhealthy. And, yeah. and so you would move. And I said, well, yeah, but we always had a place to move to. And he goes, yeah, but think about how many people you lived with. Because he was 10 years older than me, so he was out oh, of the house. Oh, so he had a whole different pe- perspective. He goes, how many people did you live with? And I go, and I started naming the families that we had lived with. Oh, wow. And I started realizing, oh, we weren't just living there because they were really cool people and we wanted to hang out with them. We, we were living there because we needed a place to live. Wow. And um, so, yeah, there was multiple of those. I mean, some of them I'm still friends with to this day. So I'm so curious about this then. So so I grew up opposite, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents moved um, from Rocky River, Ohio. And when I was conceived there, <laughs> moved out to, and then I was born in Santa Ana in California, hmm. right? And when I was a baby, they moved from Santa Ana. There was actually a pretty dangerous neighborhood. My dad had, um, like, he came home one day and they had a knife on the porch and they were threatening. It wow. was, at the time, very racially divided. It was, they were one of, like, two or three white families in the entire area. Hmm. And and it, was, it wasn't good. It was 1980, you know? And so they were like, okay, that's it. And he basically packed up the family and they moved that night. 
um, stayed with a friend, and then moved over to Orange, where they still are. So since I've been one year old, I grew up for 18 years in the exact same home. Wow. Right? On a cul-de-sac, you know, street light comes on, you go in, that whole thing. My son, who, you know, is seven years old, hmm. I guess I should add up how many times we've moved, but we've moved almost every year or so. Hmm. And there's different purposes, whether it's because we want to go to a bigger place, smaller place. Lately, it's because we feel like God's calling us to a different city or we're hmm. supposed to be, you know, in a different home. Um, we've had people living with us for the last, actually, since Val was born. So he's, in a way, he's growing up, not the same, obviously, hmm. but he's growing up with more of that move that you have. Right. I guess my question is, how did that, did it positively impact you, negatively impact you? Did it not at all? Like, yeah. part of who you are is who you are, but part of who you are has to be, you know, the that experience as a kid. Yeah, you know, the, the thing that it is, is part of who I am is how I interpret what happened to me as a kid. Right. Not necessarily what happened to me as a kid, but what how I interpret that, right? right? The you, meaning you, and I you both teach it. that, right. Yeah, yeah. And what I gave that was that it was an opportunity to make new friends. And you thought that as a kid, or did someone have I, to whisper that in your ear? I remember thinking this as a kid. <laughs> really? Yeah. There's a, there's two thought. There's two parts to that thought, though. Man, one part was you're a weird kid. Uh, yeah. One part was like, uh, this is an opportunity to make new friends. Yeah. Because my mom pretty much probably taught me that. And then the second part of it was, uh, I better learn how to decide who are friends and who are allies really quick. Oh wow. When I walk into that school. And so you I learned to assess situations really quick. I learned to look and see who's behaving a certain way, who's sketchy, who's I mean, even as a third and fourth and fifth grader, I remember thinking, okay, so I'm gonna go to that group right. versus that group. Where am I gonna fit in? Right. And huh. um so it gave me a great understanding of how people behave under different circumstances. Right. Um I, I remember one day being out on the playground and seeing this kid who had bullied me and bullied me and bullied me um, and we're we're out on the playground and I'm eating my sandwich and I saw him and I said hey would you like part of my sandwich and him go yes Hmm. and he sat down and we had sandwich he didn't stop bullying me but in that moment when it was just he and I and none of his little friends around he accepted me wow and I began to realize that people behave differently under different circumstances and by third grade, you're seeing that. Yeah. I mean, I, I've known you for a while now, I guess eight years that we were just talking. Yeah. Um, and that definitely encapsulates you, mm. right? Mm. I didn't realize, you told me part of that story, but I didn't realize how many times it really was. Yeah. And wow. So moving that much, you started getting in, in assessing situations. Did you ever make it mean anything about you? Like, did you, do you remember consciously as you think about it, mm. thinking, oh, I moved to this new school and this group isn't accepting me or they are accepting me and that means I'm cool or that means I'm smart or that means I'm dumb or yeah. or whatever it is. Do you have any conscious memories of like what that thought was like? Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, you know, as much as we had liked, we were talking about it earlier, there, as much as we would like to believe that we're immune to some of those things, Sure, I wasn't. And and I would, you know, my mom had the the best of intentions by saying, you know, it's not about them. I mean, it's not about you. It's about them and all that stuff. We we know that. But I remember definitely several times when um, I was being shunned or being made fun of or because I'm the new kid. I was always the new kid. Every year I was the new kid. Um, and so I remember thinking, at some point it's got to be about me. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I remember thinking <laughs> – you know, wow. it can't always be their fault. There's got to be something about me that's causing this. The only well, common yeah. denominator is me in right. every school. In every school. And I remember thinking that, and, and luckily I had some great people around me that said, yeah, the common denominator is you're always the new kid. Right. And so it makes sense that you will always be the one that has that problem. But I remember looking at it thinking from the standpoint of, man, I um, I just want to be accepted. Mm-hmm. I just want to have friends. Uh, I just want to, to, you know, make a difference. If you take a, a Brandon Burchard, you know, comment, sure. just that thing. And I, I thought if I, if I want to make a difference and I want to, to have friends, then I'm going to have to be accepting of, um, the right people and not accepting of the wrong people. Mm. And so I had to start distinguishing, how do I decipher good, bad? How do I decipher effective, ineffective? How do I decipher 
um, accepted or acceptable and non-acceptable behavior. Yeah. And once I started doing that, then it became really easy to draw the distinction. And that's one of the things you know that, that I talk about now so much is we've got to be able to draw the line so that they can fall in or fall out. Pe- uh, people but, around us. Right, yeah. the people around us. But we have to draw the line. And what is that line? The line is behavior. And hmm. so I started looking at that from a standpoint of when somebody behaves this way in, in public and then behaves this way in private, um, I'm probably not going to be a good fit for them. Right. Because I try and be pretty much the same way, and I, I get a lot of flack for that. But I think I had to realize then that I have to look for certain identifiers, criteria, if you will, certain okay. identifiers for people. So That's what, what helped me. So what's important to you then? Like when, when you today – Right. Mm-hmm. You're, what, 29, 30 or so? Yeah, yeah 31, 31. Yeah. Oh, that's that's perfect. Younger than me, man. Good yeah. for you. You look great. Thanks. You look great. <laughs> um, but being, you know, years later looking back at, at all those experiences, what are some of your criteria like today? What's important to you in choosing a relationship? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things that uh, uh, I would have talked in, in the open a little bit about you, um, that obviously you're a tremendous strategic interventionist. Mm-hmm. You're one of the best I know at helping people to change patterns and behaviors. You're also one of the best per- people I've ever met to connect with people. Mm-hmm. You And every time I sit with you, Bob, I feel guilty. Why? I feel guilty because <laughs> I talk about myself. Because <laughs> what happens, well, like, like, right, we're sitting in the office and you just naturally are always, how are you? What's been going on? How's Lola? How's Val? Tell me about the most exciting thing that's happened. And, and you always are so curious about people. And it's not often you see people. So I, I try to emulate that and remember, right, that as often as possible. And I think of you, I channel you almost, right, <laughs> when I'm with someone. I go, oh, yeah, that's right. I don't want to relate it back to me. I want to know about them. And I am curious, but you seem to have this innate curiosity that's either um, I, I can't be put on because you just do it too often all the time. Have you, again, always been like that? Because Do you think since third grade, like, did that help you to fit in and connect? Or was it a thing that you learned as you got older? Or like, wh- where does where does the, A, the curiosity about other people, and then B, the ability to connect with virtually anyone? Well, first, I want to say thank you for that acknowledgement. Um, that probably means more to me than anything else. No. Um, if I can truly connect with people, that's the focus. Um, the second thing is, you know, I would say, yeah, third grade, I started realizing that I better figure this this whole people thing out. Right. When I became 15 and I was asked that question and talked about human behavior, it was like, oh, that's what I was doing. Oh, right. that's how I was figuring out who would be a good friend, who would be an ally, who would be a, an opposition. Um, and it really was at that time, that, but I just didn't realize it then. Mm. But now some of the same criteria, it was funny because I, was, I teach this, this process called criteria, and we develop a criteria for based on our friends, for our strategic partners, our clients. I have the same criteria for all three of those. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, so strategic partners, friends, clients. And clients. Um, can you and, give me an example of some of that? Yeah, I can give you an example. One, I, I try and not share mine because then people just adopt their uh, that. They go, oh, yeah, that's one of mine too. Well, we're, really, we're all going to try to fit into yours so right, we can be your friend, client, right, and well, strategic partner. I don't know about that one. <laughs> but uh, Everyone listening right now is going to yeah. try to fit into your your now, box of friendship. The the biggest thing has been people just want to say, well, what's yours? And, then they, and they go, yeah, that would be that's a good one for me too. Mm. And unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. So when I create a criteria, I look and say, what are non-negotiables? Okay. Not good negotiables. Only non-negotiables can be on my criteria. So, and it's not avatar. It's all based around behavior. Okay. Okay. So it's not like um, male 35 to you know 50. Sure, sure. It's, it's more along the line. Um, one of mine is open-minded. Okay. So if you're going to be a friend of mine, you're going to have to be open-minded or I'm going to drive you nuts. Mm. If you're going to be a client of mine, you're going to have to be open-minded or you're going to drive me nuts. <laughs> Um, and, uh, if you're going to be a strategic partner, um, you're going to have to be open-minded because I don't create business relationships the same way as everybody else. So open-minded is a key one. Wow. Okay. So I have six, I have six of them, but open-minded. So, but once you have a criteria, it makes it easy to help you find out whether somebody matches or not. I like that. So it's like a shopping, I mean, it's It's, a terrible metaphor, but like a shopping list. It's really cool. Yeah, Matt. It's really cool because in the sense that if I go to a networking event, yeah. 
and I know what my criteria is, I know that it's these six things, right. then all I have to do is create questions that help me identify those characteristics in someone's life. Huh. So if I walked up at a networking event, this happened the other day, somebody came up and says, hey, Bob, so what do you do? I hate the question. And so one of the things I do... <laughs> I've heard you say that. This is the best part. Yeah. One of the things I'll do is I'll say, well, one of the things I do is teach people to not ask, what do you do as an opening line of question? And they always respond one of two ways. They're offended, yeah. which means they're not open-minded and we're probably never going to get along anyway. So I'm good. So I might as well start off the start game now. Way. Or they go, hmm. And this is what somebody said the other day. I like that. I want to learn more about that. <laughs> we're going to be like this yeah. forever, right? right? We're going to be tight. And that was the kind of the coolest thing is, but you have to know the questions to ask. You have to know the criteria to determine the questions. So if I know that one of my criteria is open-minded, yeah. I can ask a billion different questions to help me find out whether you're open-minded or not. Interesting. But right. if I don't, I'm just going to be asking typical, hey, so how are you doing? What, what, how did you get here? What brought you here? Really nothing. Or the, the worst question is, what do you do? Right. What do you do? It just tells you what you do. It doesn't tell you anything about them. Well, and they're either a networker, which means they're going to pitch you their elevator pitch, or right. they're not a networker, which means they're just going to tell you, oh, I'm a lawyer. Sure. Oh, that's interesting. And what does that do for you, right? It, it didn't further a relationship. Right. You don't learn anything about them. Right. Interesting. So, so can, can asking you, those questions. So can we back up just a little yeah. bit on the criteria? So in NLP, we talk about criteria as values. Right. And... It's essentially the same thing where it's something that's important to you, right. right? So the things that are most important to me, my important non-negotiables for a friend are like these six things. Okay. Can you can you think of, not necessarily yours, mm -hmm. but you've helped people do this, you've taught it. What are some other like general examples of criteria so we can get an idea of, I don't know, a handful of them or so? Like what would you have, what, what would people have or people you've seen? Yeah, um, you know. But not yours. Right. These are not mine. Or in, but, in, by the, in good or bad ones. I'm curious because right. you've probably met people, I'm thinking now, that have – they don't – do people have criteria and they don't know it? Yes. Some of them do. But most of them are, are taught avatar. Most of them are taught you know, to think about in terms of um, specifics about age, background – learning, all of that stuff. Well, even back to like, you know, dating in the 80s, you know, what do you want in a man? Tall, dark, and handsome. Right. What do you, right. short, fat, and hairy? Like, yeah. well, right. what if those weren't Who the said things? short, fat, and hairy? I don't know. I don't think I ever met somebody that no. said <laughs> short, fat, and hairy. <laughs> uh, yeah, so th that's the thing. So for like me, it's like uh, open-minded. Another one, and you know, when I do, when I do groups and we talk about setting up a criteria, it's amazing. Sometimes people, sometimes people will get clarity on building a, a criteria list um, within 30 minutes. Wow. Some I've worked with for three and four weeks, okay. you know, at sessions, um, to help them get really clear on that. That makes sense. Um, because they can use it for their relationships. They can use it for their finances, their business, their everything sure. in their life. So, But one of the things is um, somebody will say, um, one person wrote down, I want them to have resources. Okay. Okay. They said, I want them to be able to afford my services. Okay, so you're talking and, about client right. specifically. And, and, and that sounded good, mm -hmm. except for the standpoint that I said, well, I'm not as concerned about resources as their ability to be resourceful. Come on. Right? And we've heard right. Tony say that, right? That's good. And we've all said that. Mm -hmm. it's, I'm not concerned about their, their finances. I'm yeah. concerned about their resourcefulness. Given the right circumstances, they'll be they'll they'll get the finances. Right. Well, I, I would take a client that was resourceful any day of the right. week over someone with resources. Sure, absolutely. And so that was kind of one of those things where they were writing that down, and I'm thinking, wait, 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 scratch that out because that shouldn't be that should not be a non-negotiable. It's mm. non-negotiable, and that's the thing is they'll start writing negotiable things. So somebody will say, you know, Bob, one of uh, one of my criteria is. Um, that um, that they wow what was the last one like something that I like or that we have we have similar we gotta tastes be vegetarians or something. yeah yeah we're similar tastes of yeah. something and I said so if somebody's gonna write you a five thousand dollar check to work with them but they don't like that and they go well is that a deal killer and as soon as they go well I go that's not a non negotiable you're already negotiating in your mind. So we got to get to a non-negotiable, non-negotiable for me, open-minded. <clears throat> if they're not open-minded, it's just a no. Right. I don't have to think about it. And that's the thing is we want to get to the point where it just becomes so clear that it's just yes or no. Um, right. For example, Matt, if you said, Bob, I've got something I want you to, uh, to think about coming to you on Thursday night, 
I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I'd love for you to be there. The answer is yes. Hmm. The answer isn't, well, I got to know what it is first. Right. The answer is yes. Now, um, we may have to figure out the logistics about how we make it work, timing and things like that. And why would the answer – now, is that true for you? Yeah. That's Because that's kind of how you operate. Why is the answer yes to you? What, what's the purpose behind why it would be a yes? It would be yes based on relationship currency. Okay. So based on who's asking you. Who's asking me and the level of I'm relationship you, currency. You know yeah. that, hey, there's a reason I'm asking you and it's going to be something and Matt's vice versa. Matt's not going to take me to something that is questionable. Right. Matt's not going to introduce me to somebody that isn't like – like-minded. Mm. So all I have to do is say, based on relationship currency, yeah. um, so to go to an event, somebody will say, hey, Bob, you want to go to this event? The Who's right person ask me, yes. Interesting. Um, somebody who I don't have great relationship currency with will be like, I'll have to do more research. Right. And what I always say is we have to have enough relationship currency to spend at that, that critical moment when we need to cash it in. Hmm. And there's going to be those times when we have to cash in the relationship currency. And if you don't have enough to spend, it's going to be like trying to go buy a brand new Mercedes with $10. It doesn't fly. Right. You won't be able to do it. Huh. Man, that's really good. So have you been doing this your whole life? And I don't mean to tie everything back to childhood, but yeah. do you remember like in third grade, fourth grade at a school going, I need to be able to build something with this person and that's now I have the strategic alliance or a friend or if a bully comes, I have a group to be a part of. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. sort of a thing. Yeah. Um, or even as simple as, hey, I don't want to sit alone at lunch right. because I don't want to be that kid. Right. So but if I if I do enough here or if I build enough or if I am enough or if I just show up for people. Yeah. Was that the sort of thing? Has that been happening throughout and you just like fine tuned it and made it into, I don't know. Strategic, I don't want to have that come off wrong. I don't mean strategic like right. manipulative. I mean strategic like on purpose. Um, but now you, you, I can see you. You build real genuine relationships, but you're totally strategic. You do it intelligently. You do it on purpose. You see someone, you go, man, that's a great person. I want to get to know them. And you always have, ever since I've known you, you go out of your way to get to know people, to mm -hmm. be there for people. I mean, I was, we, we missed our last podcast, right? We were, mm -hmm. You're going to come in last week. Right. I get a text a couple hours. I had the flu. I get a text a couple hours later. And here's what's great. I know you mean it. He, Bob texts me and says, um, I was going to grab my phone. It's over there. But, you know, you say something like, hey, do you, do you or your family need anything, food, medications, an errand, anything at all? Can I help? Mm. And I'm like, man, I, most people, they would ask that. And I know they don't mean it. So my answer would always be, no, no, we're okay. And somehow I'm like, I know he actually does mean it, mm. and you would be willing to do that. Yeah. And and it was great because I was just sleeping and it was okay. And and I am taken care of, but it was just nice to know that that you had this sentiment, right? Mm. So you've always gone out of your way to, to take care of people, to connect with people, to go to things that they're about, mm. right? Mm -hmm. um, what would you say is the most important aspect of you meet a new human that you really want to build a relationship with, mm. and you just know this is a good human being. I want to, I want to get to know them. What's the most important aspect of starting or building a relationship with someone? Well, I think the quality of your connection will always be determined by the quality of questions you ask. Okay. So are you asking good questions? Mm -hmm. If I want you to say five and I keep asking what two plus two is, my problem, right? <laughs> but I can ask well you said. a million different ways to say five. I could ask four plus one, six minus two, seven mm -hmm. minus – I mean I could ask a lot of different things and get you to say five. Right. But if I ask the wrong question, I'm always going to get the wrong answer. Okay. So I think that's one of the first things is ask – make sure that you're asking questions that give you – the answer that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. um, but for building that relationship, it's really about, I, I believe, um, asking the questions and then being present enough to shut up and listen. Hmm. And most people are waiting to talk. Right. And I think that when we can get to the point where we're going, look, I'm going to ask this question, and I really, I really do care about how they answer it. And I think when you have a criteria, this is one of the trainings, when you have a criteria and you're asking questions to find out if they match that criteria, it requires you to be present mm -hmm. to hear their answer because it's going to depend on whether they're going to be strategic partner, ally, or, or client. Right. So I think one of the things is asking the questions, asking better questions, and then being totally present to hearing them. Um, and, and I think probably another caveat to that or another piece to that would be um, not acquiescing to your environment. Mm-hmm 
but being true to who you are at that moment. Uh, because I know a lot of people that walk into a situation, they meet somebody and then they're like, okay, how do I make them like me? That's the wrong question. Mm -hmm. It's like, how do I get to know them? Mm -hmm. How do I get to know who they really are? That's what matters, not whether they like me or not. And I think, you know, I've built some great relationships from that, that philosophy alone. Just saying, I'm not here to get you to like me. I'm here to get to know you. Mm. And do you, do you find that, so I love it when you said uh, not acquiesce into your environment. Mm. What, what do you mean by that as far as like, do you find, what kind of environment would you find yourself in that you might behave differently, mm. right, than how you want to? Is that what you mean? Yeah. I mean, it can be that. It, it could be like um, if you're talking to a very influential person. Yeah. So um, the other night I was... that's when I get choked up. Is right? it? Yeah. Like I think there's different levels of unconscious like coolness or influence or something, right? Yeah. So if I got the president of the United States, well, maybe that's a bad example right now, <laughs> delete the comment, forget it, but wh whoever it is, right, the most powerful person or, or a certain celebrity or a, or a business owner, and, and I find, oh, you make this much money or you created mm -hmm. this size business or something, maybe I might think, oh, now unconsciously, this person's up here. And not that I think they're better, but there's this bigger impact, bigger yeah. influence. Maybe it's they could affect my life more right. or I, you know, I, don't, I don't know exactly what that is. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure you've seen people act differently around different people. Definitely. Right? If they have no idea who you are, someone could sit next to you and they're like, oh, hi, guy in the bus stop. Right. But then they find out you're Bob Donnell and you've done all the things you've <laughs> done. And, right. Right. But yeah, I mean, you, just, you just came back from a European tour where you're speaking. Mm. Who were you speaking with? Uh, which branch of military? Army, right? Again, three different bases. Three different bases in the yeah. army. Like you're, you're out counseling, teaching. Um, it's, it's incredible what you've done. You, you went out after the Vegas shootings. You were telling me, and yeah. um, that was off air. Um, but you know, just, just to go out, and just you spent four days just going out and just being with people, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. people needed someone to be with them, mm -hmm. and you just found people who needed that, and that was it. Yeah. So you got a, a guy like you that. I mean, you're all over the place. You've been doing this for years. You've worked with the best people and the celebrities and all over the place. But meeting you, you're very unassuming, so you wouldn't know you from anyone else. Mm. Do you think, have you noticed watching people that they act differently if they know who you are or they don't know who you are? Not so much with me, but different, definitely different people. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, you bring up that, that it's such a great point because when I talk about not acquiescing to that, that environment. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of a story with Will Smith. Okay. I've, I've been around him three times. Have you ever heard this? No. No. So, so I've been around him three times, and all three times he was just the absolute, this is exactly who he was. Mm. I loved it about him. And um, I remember I was at the Grammys, and we were in the, groom, in the green room, and uh, there were a bunch of these rappers that were there. And most of them were one-hit wonders. I mean, most of them had never been and never will be back again. Right. But they were sitting there and they were all posturing in the room. You know, yeah. they all had their dark sunglasses on and their trench coats. And, and I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, are these guys joking? I they're, mean, they're like on stage. inside in a green room. I mean, there's nothing here. They're, they're posturing against each other. There's nobody else here to posture with. And I thought, this is just really a joke. And I wouldn't want to be in this room before I walked on stage. And it was the day of rehearsals for the Grammys. And I remember the door opened and Will Smith comes walking in. And he literally walks in and walks right up to the first person he recognizes. Hey, man, how you doing? Gives him a hug, shakes their hand. How you doing? What's going on? How the family? And then he walked to the next person and goes, hey, how you doing? Will Smith stuck out his hand, introduced himself. He didn't need any introduction. Within five minutes, him doing that, he did that with everyone basically in the room. Wow. Within five minutes, the people that were posturing, their hats were off, their sunglasses were off, their jackets were straight, and they were standing at attention because he did not, he did not um, acquiesce to the environment. He made the environment acquiesce to him. Come on. And he was brilliant at it. And I've wow. seen him do it three different times in three different ways in three different places. And he's great at that. Hmm. And I think one of the things is when we get to that point where we're so comfortable with ourselves that... We walk into a room and the room changes because of us. Right. We don't change because of the room. Right. And so when we're having that conversation with somebody that we really want to connect with, we don't change to become them. Hmm. We let them change to be a part of a conversation. And I think when, when I walk into a room and I'm talking to somebody, um, it doesn't have – it can be celebrity. It can be famous or not famous. The bottom line is this. This is a human being that I know the number one thing they crave more than anything else 
everything they're putting up their nose, everything else, I know the number one thing they're craving is connection. Hmm. And when I get really clear on that, then all I have to do is focus on walking in the room going, how do I make this person feel like I see them? Right. That I love them and I really do care. And that's all that matters. And that can be a celebrity, professional athlete, that could be the President of the United States, it doesn't matter. If you walk in with that principle at mine and that's the forefront, it's a done deal. Hmm. So how have you, you do that well, how have you been able to do that inside yourself? Like, do you ever feel different when you're, like you said, you've connected with all sorts of different people at celebrity level. Do you feel different when you walk into the room or you're connecting with one of those people versus uh, whatever the opposite is, I guess, a a relatively unknown person, but it's still a great person? Mm -hmm. I I feel like, like maybe, I don't know, for me, maybe maybe it'll be a few seconds, it would be there, but once you break that, that first moment, Right. That barrier, all of a sudden you're like, I'm just sitting here with a human being. Right. Is that how it is for you? Or did you have to yeah. train yourself to do that? Did yeah, you... I definitely had to train myself to do it. I think I had to train myself to do it, and I still have to retrain myself to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't wait till I'm in the room to decide that. Okay. I decide that when I'm in my car getting there. Right. And then when I pull up, before I get out of the car, I'm like, who am I meeting? Another human being. Right. Okay, and so what are they craving? Right. They're craving connection. So how's the best way that I can help them feel connected to? Mm -hmm. Then I walk in the room. Wow. So I think it's setting yourself up to win. And in Mastering Your Inner Game, one of the pillars is setting yourself up to win. Can you do that ahead of time so that Mm -hmm. you can win at game time? Right. Or are you waiting till game time to show up and practice? Mm. That's not going to be good. Wow. So you decide before you go somewhere. You decide before you interact how you're showing up what you're going to focus on. Mm-hmm. I love that. Well, it's going to boil down to it's going to boil down to whether the message gets conveyed, it's going to boil the, down to the method, the message or the messenger. Right? The method, the message or the messenger. So whether I stand up on stage and speak, yeah. Whatever it is that I'm trying to convey, it's going to boil down to the method, the message or the messenger. Okay. Standing on stage, using a mic, not using a mic, handheld, lavalier, all of that stuff, the method, um, standing on stage, using PowerPoint, not using PowerPoint, all that method, mm-hmm. message. What is it that I'm actually saying? And is it conveying correctly? Yeah. And then the messenger, how am I showing up? So oh, whenever gotcha. I'm going to go meet with somebody, it's always going to boil down to those three things. I want to make sure that I'm monitoring my method, monitoring my message, and using the right method and the right message, and then I'm showing up correctly. And have, you, have you seen people getting one or two out of the three correct? What's something you Myself could, included. <laughs> oh, sure. Well, what's something you might notice if, uh, let's just say if I got the method of the message right, but the messenger was off? What might I expect? Um, probably it's going to boil down to the way they show up in tonality. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going it's to boil down to maybe they're, um, uh, they're not dressed appropriately for the event that they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, it might show up in ways of... Um, strength of their uh, their vocals, mm-hmm. the way they're the way they're saying things. So not just the tone, but also the emphasis of certain things. Uh-huh. Um, what what if it was the other way? So what what if I feel like messenger is solid? Okay, message is solid. Method is off. What will do, what will show up? Yeah. Typically, if the message or the method is wrong, it'll be like somebody who's um, standing in front of a large audience, and they're speaking in a really soft voice. Okay. And they've got no microphone. That's going to be the equivalent. So people they're, are wanting to hear. They're wanting to hear. They're wanting to engage, but it's like they're having a stumbling block. Yeah. Or look at look at Facebook posts. You you put a Facebook post on, yeah. right? And you get no no interaction. Oh. Um, well, was it the method? Was it the message? Or was it the messenger? It was the algorithm. It was the algorithm. It was the that's algorithm. It changed. Right. I heard. <laughs> and and there is truth to that. Yeah, so, yeah. The, but again, that's going to boil down to the method. Then, yeah. so you're trying to get a message out on something that has an, an algorithm that's changing on a frequent basis. Right. That's the method. Right. It's not the message. The message is still solid. The messenger is still solid. That's interesting. I mean, just to take it back to that. So, I mean, how many of us, you know, me included, right? I'm looking at sometimes I'll put a Facebook message out or a live or whatever, and you look at low interaction, and mm-hmm. I think, oh my gosh, I, I still might think, is there something wrong with me? Um, I should change how I'm showing up. I should be more like this. I should be more like that person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or it's the, was this a good message? Was this a bad message? And it literally might have been the method of doing it. So I've been playing with things like, you know, the time of day mm-hmm. it goes out sure. and, and little things like that where I go, oh, the difference on engagement, 
I don't need to change who I am. Right. I don't need to change my message because my voice needs to be heard the same way as everyone else does in the, yep. the unique way that we are, right? Right. right. We, the world doesn't need 100,000 more Tony Robbins right. or, or Bob Denells or Matt Brownings or whoever it is. Right. Right. They need one more of you. Right. right. And that's it. Yeah. Um, so maybe we don't need to change that, hmm. but look at the method of how are we getting something out. I think that's good. Yeah. That, the timing and everything goes into that method. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things I always ask before I do a post or when I'm going to step on stage or even do a podcast or anything else, I always say, what do I want my audience to think? What do I want them to feel? And what do I want them to do? Hmm. Once you answer those questions, what do I want them to think, feel and do, then it's reverse osmosis. All you have to do is say, okay, so what do I need to say to get them to think that? Right. And how do I need to say it? What do I need to say and how do I need to say to make them feel this way? And then what do I need to say and what's my call to action to get them to do this? Hmm. And so it's really a simple process to do it. But it's it's sometimes easier said than done. Right. Well, it's back to that reverse engineering, like when we were talking about the criteria list. Yep. It's the exact same thing. Right. You know, well, I have this criteria. Let me reverse engineer questions I can ask right. to elicit that. Absolutely. And discover what it is. Yeah. That's really cool, Bob. It's been good talking to you so far. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. Um, can I ask you a few rapid fire questions? Sure. All right, cool. And just, you've done this before. Just go yeah. unconscious, okay. just kind of chill, and, uh, and just whatever comes to your mind, I'd love to know the answer. So, Bob, you're a guy that, again, you've lived a you live quite a life, you know, from whether it's the childhood to your teen years, the nonprofit at 19, and we haven't even shared the rest of your story, mm-hmm. um, but you've built some incredible things. You've gone through seasons in life um, of incredible loss and incredible victory and and sacrifice and love, and, and you just, you're so much to so many people. Mm, thank you. A guy like you, I, I like, I really want to know what makes you tick, like more about what makes you tick, right? We got some of the story piece. But if I asked you, like, around relationships, because I think for you, relationships would be the core element of business, health, relationship, e- right. everything in life. And I don't want to yeah. speak for you, but no. is that anywhere near accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So if relationship is the core, what's important to you in relationship? I think honesty is one, um, and sometimes brutal honesty mm-hmm. is going to be probably the pinnacle. Um I think for for relationship for me, it just has to be honest. It has to be vulnerable, mm-hmm. and it has to be intentional. Hmm. Um, I put a post the other day about: Do you love? Do you open the door for a woman as a man? Yeah. Do you open the door for a woman out of desire or out of obligation? Hmm. And um, and I knew how people were going to respond. Sure. And yet. One of them, Ojo Taylor, amazing guy. This guy, um, he used to be in the band Undercover, Christian Christian punk rock band. Cool. Um, and he he commented, uh, and he said, well, I would like to say that it's, I, I'm paraphrasing, I'd like to say that it's purely uh, because out of desire, but I also know that I do other things um, with underlying motives, so I would have to say that it's probably a combination hmm. type of thing. Thank and you for I, your I, I know I meant, yeah, but I love the way he just, you know, he just said, oh, I'd like to say that it's out of, Desire, but there's right. probably some things that I'm trying to get out of it too. In, in right, no posturing. Right, and it was yeah, and it was really cool. So I think, you know, when I look at things like that, I want a relationship that is completely out of desire. Mm-hmm. Like if I have to, uh, if I have to make someone feel guilty to show up, or you know, I don't want that. Right. I don't even want, and I don't want to have, like next level by association. We've never paid somebody to come and be a guest of honor at next level by association. Right, and and, and this is your can you tell people about the next yeah, level I by association. Yeah, I host it once a month. It's a private dinner that I host. It's in a secluded room, and nobody knows where it's going to be until the day of. And uh, you know, I bring in these That's guests cool. of honors, people like Frank Shankowitz, who's the founder of Make a Wish Foundation, to um, to Kasim Osgood, three time Pro Bowl player in the NFL, to. Glenn Morshauer, who played Aaron Pierce on show 24. Uh, I, you know, all these yeah. people, they come in as my friends. Keith Faraz, you wrote Never Eat Alone, Who's Got Your Back. They come in as my guests, and they sit down, and they have dinner with us. Yeah. And they share where they are, where they were, where they're at now, and where they're going. Sure. And so it's it's at those moments, it's like, I've never paid somebody to be a guest of honor there. Right. I've never had to pay a celebrity to show up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and I've only been asked once. Huh. Um, is there a fee? And you've That's been doing these asked. for how long? Like four eight years? years? Eight years? Eight years now. Oh We're in our gosh. eighth year. And I've never been asked, except one time, and their answer was just an on, is there a speaking fee on this? And I said, no. 
because you're just my guest of honor to and they're like great I'll be there right what time yeah so it wasn't a posturing it was is this just I just want question. to understand the structure of what right. we're doing and um, and I think that's one of the cool things so I want people uh, relationship for me is really important because yeah. it's desired it's really it's something that's mutually wanted mm-hmm. um, and there's times when I think they're going to be unequal. Right. I think there's going to be times when I'm going to demand and need more of you, Matt, mm-hmm. than you need of me. And then there may come a time that it flips where you need more of me than or I mean, I need more or you need more of me than I need of you. Sure. So um, I think looking at those kind of relationships are the things that really trigger me. But it's really about who's the person that I'm sitting across the table with. I mean, we've had, you know, several years now that we've gotten to know each other. We haven't spent nearly as much time as we, you know, you might want to at one time or another, but we've when we've connected, we've connected. Right. And I think that's the thing is when when I sit down with somebody, can we connect, regardless how much time has lapsed, um, and regardless of good, bad, or indifference. I mean, you know, one of my friends, Wesley Goo, uh, Wes. you know Wes. Wes is um, one of my dearest friends, yeah. and he and I can disagree and disagree and disagree. And to the point, oh, you of, know him, yeah, and we, yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> Love him. And um, we can completely disagree, and at the same time, at the end, we're just like, "I got your back." Yeah, I love you. And, well, and that's real relationship. Yeah. You can actually be safe to express yourself, safe to believe what you believe, and right. not have to guard. Right. right, right. It's like, yeah, we can have drastically different opinions on two things, and and we can just sit and talk about it. Right. Because I don't have to worry about anything, honestly. Right. So is safety important in a relationship? Oh, yeah, absolutely. For me, yeah. Um, And I think the different level of relationship is going to require a different level of safety, vulnerability, and all that. I love what Brene Brown said. She says, um, be vulnerable with those who qualify for your vulnerability. That is so good. I love that when she said that. And um, because we're, we're this big thing, if I want vulnerability, you want vulnerability, but let's be honest. There's some people you could not be, you should not be vulnerable Absolutely. with. Um, and that's okay. And it's okay. Yeah, I love that statement. How, how many people have we met? I mean, for me, like I, I can, I, I can just keep on the the, the faces keep popping in my head mm. of clients and friends and family and people that have expressed something like that. Like, oh, there, there it happened again. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to be vulnerable, and they just ripped my heart out. This right. person hurt me, and you think, wow that person wasn't a trustworthy person with your heart. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you have to guard it, but it does. You know, Bible right. says guard your heart. And, right. and I don't think it means be scared and weak-minded. I think it means be intentional right. with where you put it. Yeah. Right? It's such yeah. a different place. Yeah. Last couple quick questions and we'll okay. wrap up. Um, when it comes to business, what do you believe it takes to be successful? We have to, we have to figure out how we measure success okay. first. Um, if we're talking about money and everything else, I think it's completely different okay. than how you and I would what, probably what do you call it? Success for me is being, you know, being that person that I get to be exactly who I'm supposed to be um, and called to be, and and that generates rewards that are beyond monetary. Hmm. Um, so for me to be that, I think what it requires is um, a great support team of people. People that will call you on the carpet when you're not doing that. The uh, classic board of directors in your life. Yeah, the board of directors in your life. Um, you know, and, and and I'm blessed that I have some great board of directors in my life. Sure. Um, and you, I know you are too. So um, we're very blessed. You know, if, if you look, there's a lot of people that don't have that good of board of directors in That's their right. life. They've got some self-sabotaging board of directors. Um, we're blessed in that sense. So I think that is, is probably paramount. Um, I think another thing for for business, I think it really boils down to um, a clear vision of what that business is about. We talked about my friend who worked at the White House and with Dr. Graham and stuff. And, you know, having a clear vision of what could, this could is. Could you share that real quick? Because that, that was before we started rolling tape. Oh, could okay. You, could, would you mind sharing just that piece? Sure, sure. I, I just won't use her name because I don't have yeah, permission. Yeah, that would be tremendous. But um, she worked at the White House. She worked for um, Dr. Billy Graham. She worked for... Uh, Robert Schuler and just really powerful people. Mm-hmm. And I called her one day and I said, you know, I'm really struggling. And I said, I don't know how to deal with some of the negative. You know, the more visible you get, the more negative you get. And um, and I was doing a lot of Facebook Lives. I was doing a lot of stuff then. Yeah. And I thought, and you Man, get all sorts of comments oh, and trolls and positivity. Crazy, yeah, yeah. But crazy comments like, 
you know there's no there's no truth to it, and yet it still cuts you like a knife. And I remember just well, I, it's the people that know you have all these great comments, and then right. one person who has no idea who you are, right. you're not even friends on Facebook. Right. They're right. like, what? It's exactly right. Yeah. And uh, so I called her and I just said, you know, how did these three great leaders? How did these three great people do things? How did they handle this? And she goes, oh, that was simple. <laughs> I'm thinking simple. Uh, really, those three prominent figures, they probably got arrows and everything all the time. Right. How did they deal with it? And she goes, it was simple. They all knew what their mission was, and anything that did not contribute to furthering their mission yes. was just considered noise. It, ju- wow. it just didn't exist. And I thought, wow, that's a great principle. Now, can I do it? That was the trick. Let, yeah, right? let's apply that. And, I, and I'm applying it, and I'm getting better at it. Yeah. But it's still... It's still there, but I think that if we can get really clear on that, really clear on that mission. So you're doing great that. with the microphone. Just leave it. That's all right. Really right clear there. on that mission. Yeah. Um, and then we can say, okay, anything that does not contribute to furthering that mission is just not in my vocabulary. Right. That's so good. So you could almost say, you know, that to the extent that you can be distracted by noise is the extent that you're not, whether it's clear enough or a big enough vision. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's fair to say, mm-hmm. but. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it, like it, instead it, of focusing on the noise, if you're going to be distracted by noise, right. focus on, on working on the vision. Make yeah. it bigger. Make it wider. Make it clearer. Right. Right. Make Dive it more emotional. It. Yeah. Right. So you'll do it even when it's not comfortable. And that will get rid of the noise by itself. That gets rid of the noise. Yeah. That's great. And I think that's a, a great uh, a great nugget to end on. Um Bob, thank you so much for making the time to come in today. Um, I really appreciate you rescheduling when I was sick last week, caring about me, and and just stopping in. And it was great to catch up uh, for the hour we before we roll tape, and then yeah. and this hour has been awesome. So, thanks so much, Bob. Um, if thank we want to find out more, uh, I want people to connect with Bob mm-hmm. Donnell. Where do we find out about all things Bob Donnell? Okay, um, everythingnextlevel.com is the website. They can go to bobdonnell.com. Um, and then really Facebook. I'm all over Facebook. All I do over a lot Facebook. Of, I do a lot of lives. Bob uh, is over like 30 years old, so he's all over Facebook. <laughs> right? Me too. I'm over 30. That's I'm all truth. over Facebook. That's the truth. And so you have like a, a Bob Donnell page I have profile. a Bob Donnell page and a Bob Donnell profile. And um, It's two N's, two L's? Two N's, two L's. All right. So Bob Donnell. Mm-hmm. So two N's, two L's in the, word, in the last name Donnell. So you That's look right. for the right one. Perfect. Um, and Everything Next Level is the website. And mm-hmm. you can find out about Bob's training coaching, um, sure. Next Level by Association, sure. all that kind of stuff. Um, awesome. Bob, yeah. so good having you, buddy. All right. Thank you, brother. Love you, man. Appreciate you. Love you too, man. Hey, my thanks to Bob for coming on the episode. Uh, thank you so much, Bob, for the podcast. It was a blast. Uh, great to connect. Um, as we said in the interview, you know, we sat here for a good probably hour and a half before the interview, and uh, and I kept saying to him, like, I, I, I should be rolling tape by now. Um, there were so many uh, great stories, and, and we were just giving stories back and forth and having a good time catching up. Um, I love doing these interviews with old friends. It just makes it so much easier. So um, I hope that interview was, it was interesting for you. The things I want, want you to really think about and look at taking away from the time we spent is a couple of things that I'm always going to be looking for when I interview someone. When I, when I look at an entrepreneur, I, I want to break down the patterns of their thinking, their feeling, their passions. I'm going to be always trying to get, uh, get at people to understand what are their motivations for why they do what they do or how they do what they do. Um, this ties in with my new book coming out. Um, it'll be coming out this summer called The Firebox Principle. If you haven't heard about this yet, uh, well, I'll be talking about it more and more as the weeks go on. Um, the Firebox Principle uh, subtitle is The Seven Drives That Fuel Every Entrepreneur. So I've gotten into a lot of study and, and, and curiosity around what drives successful people in life and everything from what are their attitudes, what are their values, what's important to them, their criteria, as Bob talked about, um, what are, you know, what emotions and passions drive them and move them forward, and, and what thought processes do they go through that get them stuck, how do they get out of it, um, how does their origin story connect the dots to who they are and, and, and uh, who they've become. So um, there's a lot of really interesting takes and ways to look at these entrepreneur people that, um, you know, the bigger the names, the sometimes the more intrigue. My job is I want, I'm going to start uh, in this next season here really getting anyone who will take the time to sit down with me that I, someone I know, someone I respect, and someone that I think you should hear their story. And if it's someone that I believe has really valuable uh, skills and valuable learnings 
as a result of the stories they've been through, I want to bring those people on for you. That's the whole purpose of, of the main podcast moving forward. And then whenever I can, if you already listened to the bonus episode, if you haven't, um, go back. The one before this that dropped on Monday is the bonus episode. And what I did is I always go live on Facebook to, to record our bonus uh, nugget teaching, Mondays with Matt. So you can follow me on facebook.com forward slash Matt Browning and get notifications. Make sure you like that page and uh, and you'll find out when I go live on uh, sometime during the day on Monday. But whenever I have a guest in the studio, um, which we're in the, in the Evolution offices right now, I'm also going to do that on Monday. And I, and I went live with Bob, which was awesome. So we talked about, again, one little nugget, a really quick snippet way to make a behavioral pattern change and do it right now. Um, the answer was mind-numbing simple but also really, really interesting. So it's a great listen or a great watch if you're on YouTube. Um, check out the Monday with Matt bonus episode, uh, I think episode 22 with Bob Donnell, and we get into that as well. So um, thanks for joining me. Thank you for hanging out. Thank you so much for inviting me into your life. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. And again, I hope this has been a fun time. It sure is for me. And I will see you next week. Peace. <laughs>